How's everybody doing? Yeah, it's good. It's heavier on this side. What? You guys scare them or no? It's, did you all like Pastor Terry's message last week on faith? That was awesome. I wanted to tell a joke Pastor Terry told last week about the talking frog. No, I'm kidding. He stole that and you probably heard it now three times. But anyway, I want to tell you... Um, there was this mom, and she had two boys that were, man, they were just in trouble all the time, trouble in school, trouble in, in Sunday school. So mother decided, you know what, I'm going to get them some spiritual instruction. So mom took the first older boy to meet with the pastor. So the boy sat down with the pastor, and the pastor said, son, I want to ask you a serious question. Where's God, son? Looked at him and Son, I asked you a question. Where's God? Sat there silently. He goes, son, I'm going to ask you one more time. Where's God? The kid gets up, runs all the way home, gets a hold of his brother and says, we're in big trouble. God's missing and they think we did it. <laughs> so these, these three sons, they, they leave home and... Uh, they're very prosperous. They got a joint business and they're like making money and they decide they want to bless their mom back at home. So Joe, the oldest boy, he says, I'm going to build mom a huge house. She's going to love it. We're going to, she's going to, I'm going to bless her. Frank, the middle boy, says, I'm going to get her one of those newfangled electric cars. Donnie says, well, I'll tell you what I did. I, I'm going to buy her one of those expensive talking parrots that memorize the Bible. So a few months later, mom writes the boys a letter. says, Joe, that house was just way, way too big. Frank, that car, it was just too small. But Donnie, I got to tell you, that chicken was the best I ever ate. All right, one more. One more, lighten you up. It's Backwoods family. They, uh, they've never been to a city, never had any electric anything. It's been backwoods, backwoods, so they decide to go visit the city like the Beverly Hillbillies. So they get in, and they, they walk into this skyscraper, and the boy and the daddy are looking like, wow, like a Trump, Trump Tower, you know. It's like, and they're sitting there. They're really amazed that this door opens up, and there's this little room, and then it closes automatically. And they watch, and this old lady goes in that room. The door opens and closes. She says, what do you think that is, Daddy? He goes, man, I don't know what that is. A few minutes later, the door opens, and out walks this beautiful young lady. He goes, son, do you see that? He goes, Daddy, what just happened? He goes, I don't know, but go get your mother. <laughs> Not nice. What do you mean? I thought it was cute. Oh, man. It was cute. Come on. All right. Ah, Lord. I'm not going to try to explain that. I'll just move on. All right. I want to, uh, this is a message I'm just really, really excited about. Um, actually, it was John Maples in men's group. I invite you to come to men's group and to Bible study. Sunday morning, Bible study in the great room at 830 and men's group at 7 o'clock. I know the ladies got their things going. But men, last week was awesome. Um, we had a man get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Brother Ike, you got, where is Ike? Where is, where is he at? He, there he is. He preached or shared. And, and uh, he's just bold. He was sharing about some things that happened years ago with full gospel businessmen. 
and uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and praying for the sick. And anyway, two men walked in, one at the men's group and one on uh, Tuesday morning, and both of them got baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was really, really... I, uh, you live for those moments after seeing what happened in Nepal and India when the Holy Spirit comes. Well, I want to, uh, I've been sharing or looking at this book that John Maples gave me. It's uh, about the return of Jesus. It was actually written in, uh, it was published in like, think, whoa, in like 1904, 1909. It's been translated in 40 different languages. Um, it was written with the whole concept or the understanding that Jesus is coming back. He looked at all the scriptures, and it was a, really a major bestseller back in the early 1900s. This is pre-formation of the state of Israel, and yet the prophecies that are in there just encourage you. So I just started researching, looking all, been meditating on these scriptures, and I pray that today you're just going to be really, really excited when you leave here today. It's going to have a new hope. I've, I've, uh, if, you, if you haven't received the outline, I'm t- I've titled the message, Eagerly Waiting for the Savior's Return. Eagerly waiting for the Savior's return. Mike's going to go get some copies of it. Praise the Lord. All right. You can pick those up on the way in if you like. Um, sometimes we do the PowerPoints, but I'm a, I'm a paper guy with the paper. This is a book. It has pages in it. I just, I just, I just, I just like it. Beth Moore was teaching on Wednesday night about the telephones that used to have wires to them, and you'd, and you'd have to be attached What's going to happen in the next 20 years, right? If anybody needs an outline, just raise your hand. We'll get it. So as we're kind of looking at this eagerly waiting, and I was um, just taken back by the number of scriptures that encourage this. But let me ask this question first. When I asked my wife this question, she gave me two really quick answers. Have you ever had a time in your life when you were waiting so eagerly, almost consumed, with anticipation for someone or something to come about to be a reality. Think of the first thing that comes to mind. Christmas Eve, when you're a child, right? Um, That anticipation of something that almost burns in you, or when I ask my wife this, she says, well, I think most people could relate to a loved one who's been separated from us. can think of when my dad went off to war. When I was a baby and he went off to Korea, that's, if you had a loved one that's been on an assignment or separated, there's this place, this longing, almost expecting and hoping for a quick return. That's the one I said. And it, the one that related to that is we were so gushy in love. You know, she, I met her when she was 16. As a, uh, we were high school sweethearts. I was a couple of years older than she was. Uh, still am, by the way. And... Uh, and uh, we were so in love, and, and I went to a military school during the Vietnam War, and you, you could not be married during that school. We probably would have got married. So we were engaged, and um, I had to go out on a ship. I was gone for three months, uh, shipped over to the Mediterranean, and it was before cell phones and Facebooks and all that stuff, right? So you couldn't just get on the phone and call and see. In fact, the only way to communicate was ship-to-shore radio, hoping that a shortwave radio ham guy on the East Coast would connect up and then patch me in by phone. And so it was a, it was a really tough time. We were so, we were so in love. We're getting, we're engaged my last year's school, and man, we went away. That three months was like, holy. Oh, and so, but boy, coming back, it was like this longing in your heart that was just there. But 
the one that came to my wife's first thought, I says, our wedding day. It was like, and it was like, I was so anticipatory of that wedding. We got married at the college. It was a military wedding. I got, I got my uh, graduation certificate, my nuclear engineering degree. I got my commission in the Navy. And my third thing was my wife. And it was all in one day. And, and uh, she says, now you know which one was the most important, right? I, I do. I, sir, I, I do. And so, but that wedding day. But how about the birth of a child? There's that, right now, Laura's uh, seven weeks from the delivery of little Annabelle. Six, but who's counting, right? <laughs> and uh, there's that anticipation of the, of the child. What's, it gonna, what's that child going to be like, and how's it going to go? And what's like? There's all those expecting eagerly, an eager expectation. There's something about those. They're separate than these little things that happen in life are not so. These are like major, major life-altering events. Amen. That's what I'm talking about this morning. And I'm hoping there'll be an impartation of revelation because I believe if you get a hold of this revelation from Scripture about what is going to take place, there will be not only a course correction or a, a, a redirection of your thinking and your heart towards that expectation. That's my desire this morning. So Holy Spirit, we just come and ask you to break open this revelation that the Scriptures will become alive. As Brian has drawn this morning, that the Scriptures, the washing of the word and the light that comes from scripture would be that revelation that comes today from his word. Will be different. You cannot, the word says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is full of living power. Full of living power and it's able to cut between soul and spirit. Do some cutting today, Lord, and give us that revelation so we get our thoughts and our minds off worldly things and we look with he eager expectation of the blessed hope. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you got your outline. Let's, uh, let's open. I want to open with a scripture this morning. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 and in verse 20. The book of Philippians. What a great book. The church at Philippi was a thriving church. Powerful four chapters there. But let's look at what Paul writes to the church at Philippi. It's about midway through his journey as an apostolic leader planting the churches. And in Philippians chapter 3, it's the one that deals with pressing towards the mark or the goal. We had a, our focus was that number, verse 4 was, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, that's awesome. Forgetting the things that lie behind us, verse 13. So forget about what's your past. That's gone. It's done. Yesterday's yesterday. Today's today, right? Amen. And so when you, when you look, when you pull that whole, that whole chapter is like full of nuggets of powerful stuff, but deals with, look at verse 20. The King James and the New Living are different. I looked at the NIV. I looked at several translations here. I love them all. Remember, the King James is a word-for-word -word translation from the 1600s. The New Living Translation is a thought-for-thought. Thought. It's great to have both. Let's look at this one. Let's look at the King James first, verse 20. I have a parallel Bible. It says, for our conversation, our conversation is in heaven. Now that, you ought to just stop there and say law for a minute. 
We have a conversation going on with heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned. I like that. Like unto a glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. You're going to have a buff body someday. Like everything that fell down is going to be like back up again, right? It's going to be all right. Look what the New Living says this. Verse 20, 320. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies, change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Man, there is a mouthful right there. Whoo! We eagerly wait. We're citizens in heaven. You got a passport. You know, when we went to China, Nepal, and India a few weeks ago, we needed 30 passports, three for each nation. You can't get in there. You go through customs, and they got a picture. They got it all automated. They now have retina scans. Man, it is set up for the Antichrist to track everybody everywhere. I'm telling you what. But in the meantime, we're citizens of heaven. You got a passport written in the blood of Jesus upon your heart. Your DNA is registered in heaven. That's a good word. So we're citizens of heaven, and our conversation is there, and guess what? We're eagerly waiting. Paul says, I'm just like eagerly waiting for him to return, and when he returns, man, it's going to be awesome. Everything that doesn't work and broken, and it's all going to be just like power and everything under his control. Turn a few pages to the right. Let's go to Titus 2.13. Titus, which was another son of Paul, spiritual son. They wrote all those chapters of Titus on how to be leaders in the pastoring of all the churches that were being planted. It's a great instruction book on the gospel of how to run churches and what to do and what's the right teaching and how do you promote it. And well, I want to look at this one in, in Titus 2 and verse 13. While we look forward with hope. While we look forward with hope. Are you looking forward with hope? That's a good question right now. I'm serious. How hopeful are we? There's a lot of discouragement, despair, nah, 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 stuff going on, tearing down, gossiping this and judging that, and Trump said this, and blah, 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 blah. It's like awful. The Chinese are doing this, and the, the nuclear arsenal that the North Koreans got, and man, it's like, guess what? That's just all going to be passed away. While we look forward with hope to what? The wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He will be revealed. Verse 13 in the, New, in the uh, King James says, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, let the Lord reveal the great blessed hope that is coming before the revelation of all things that are going to come when he appears. That eastern sky is going to split wide open one day. Man, it's going to be a shaking and a rattling and a rolling for a lot of folks. But those who have the blessed hope, it's like, he's here. He's here. Yeah. 
Whoa, that is going to be, that gets you. It ought to get you excited. If you're not blessed right now, your blesser needs an adjustment. All right, let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 9. Turn more to the right. And let's get to Hebrews chapter 9. This is awesome scripture about the Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the shed blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all. We're going to do communion. He entered heaven. But I love how this conclusion goes. And let's look at 9. Let's begin in 9 and 27. Hebrews 9, 27. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Well, that'll sober you right up. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. King James, now let me look at Lou Living. It says, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. Not to deal with our sin, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly waiting for him. I was thinking, Lord, it says you're going to appear to those who eagerly wait the second time. Does that mean you won't appear to the ones? No. But there's this revelatory appearance of those who are eagerly waiting. So here's a serious question. How eager are you? How e- I mean, serious, how eager are you? Are we consumed with all the stuff? Or are we dealing with that, but we're eagerly in expectation of an anticipation of that blessed hope? That'll do something to you. It'll, it'll course correct some things you might be headed down that you shouldn't be heading down. It'll also give you that place of perseverance and endurance. And that's why I believe Paul and the writers of Hebrew, all of them, over and over again. Let's look at another scripture. Turn a page. Just look at 1037. One chapter later, Hebrews 1037. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Now that coming one in my Bible is, is capitalized because there's only one coming one. His name is Jesus. He's not coming back as the little babe in Bethlehem. He's coming back as a roaring lion, king of kings and lord, who knows who he is, who's going to vanquish every one of his enemies. He's coming back not as the rejected one anymore. He will put them under his feet and he will crush them with his with the power, and that, that place where a king was brought in, and when he's conquered, they put his heel on the head of the one. That's what he's going to do. He also says in, Reve- in uh, Romans 16, he says, you shall crush Satan under your feet. You'll crush his head under your feet. That's wild. But he says, in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls are being saved. Are being saved. King James says, now, 
the just shall live by faith. Verse 3 says, a li- yet a little while. Lord, 2,000 years doesn't seem like, like a little while. But you remember in 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 3.8? You don't need to turn there. 2 Peter 3.8 says, some of you say it's been a long time, he's not coming. The scoffers say he's been taking a long time to get here. He says, he's not slack concerning his promise that everyone should be saved. That's his desire, right? But he says, don't you realize, 2 Peter 3, he says, a day is like a thousand years with the Lord. So from that day, remember in Acts in chapter 2, after the Pentecost, in chapter 1, where Jesus is taken up, and the angels, the two angels there, and all the guys are gawking, like, where, whoa, you still seeing Peter? And he says, why are you all staring up there? Don't you know he's coming back the same way he left? Basically, you need to get to work. He's coming back. You need to get going. He'll touch down on the Mount of Olives again, but you all need to get going. Stop gawking upwards. That that was two days ago in God's calendar. Can you remember what you did two days ago? I can't. I can't maybe next week or last week. I can't. but, But two days ago, as far as the Lord's concerned, that's two days ago. We're about to enter the third day. In that calendar, which is big in prophecy, I'll just put it there, but, but it says, look, he's coming back, and it's real soon. It's only been a few days. Let's look at another scripture. How about Matthew 24? Turn now to the left. Jesus' prophecy of the end times. Let me just say this right now. When you deal with eschatology and promise, there are those, someone came this morning, I thought it was a really good word. There are those that say, man, let's just get in the bomb shelter and hang on and hope God gets back soon because I can't take it much longer. That is not this message. This is one of those, get to work, strap on a sword, let's go defeat the enemy, let's walk forward. There are nations to be conquered. There are Himalayan churches to be planted. There are places that we need to just get on with it, right? And so... This is not that, but it is that one where you can't separate from Scripture what is the promise to what is the encouragement, right? All right, so in Matthew 24, we're not going to spend all that time. Jesus said, here's all the signs, and I think I've listed in my Scripture, and I've preached on this before, at least 14 major signs. But I just want to call out what's appropriate here on this eager waiting. Look at verse 36, Matthew 24, 36. No one knows the day or the hour when this is going to happen. Not even the angels, right? Only the Father. So I don't know how that all works, but it says you better not get caught up on days and hours, but you better not also ignore number 42, verse 42. So you must keep watch, for you don't know the day the Lord is coming. In fact, other scripture goes on and says it'll be like in the days of Noah, they were marrying, giving in marriage, and all those things were going on, and yet they didn't know, suddenly the flood came, right? So this curse says, when you least expect it, he's going to show back up. Now, there are preachers, Ginny and I have been, we've listened to Jack Van Empty for, I don't know, we've been Christians now, what, 42 years or something? So back in 74, he was saying, rapture's right around the corner. We're going to be taken out of here, and he's still preaching it, and he's right. I mean, it's, it's both uncertain and it's imminent. This is why he's saying, when you leave, I mean, all of a sudden, in fact, 
those who go in the study of eschatology now, the birth of Israel, the nation, the capturing of Jerusalem in 67, the promises right now of Gog and Magog, the rising of the powers in the Middle East, Persia in 1937, Iran became, Persia became Iran. That alignment with Russia and the alignment with Libya, those things are in place. Go read Ezekiel. Those promises are, they are like a time in the distant long future from 3,500 years ago when Ezekiel prophesied that. There'll be a time in the distant future when I will bring them against my people when they dwell safely in the land. I mean, it ought to get you really excited. Those people say, man, it can happen at any moment. All the fulfillment of the things that have taken place. When the word is preached with all, all over the world, guess what? There's, I think, 37 satellites beaming the word of God every corner of every place in the earth, even Antarctica. I mean, that fulfillment happened in the last 15 years. I mean... Y'all, we need to be ready. This is the time where you shut down all the stuff that's drawn you away from him. You draw into him and you say, Lord, I need to get ready. Well, let's look at, turn one chapter, Matthew 25. Look at verse 13. This is the one with the famous scripture of the, bride, the, the bridesmaids that aren't quite five are ready and five aren't. The foolish and the wise ones. Look at verse 13, right at the end of that teaching Jesus teaches his, so you too must keep watch. For you don't know the day or the hour of my return. It's going to be a surprise. Look at verse 28. Well, let's look at verse 19 for a minute. This, this is another one of those sobering things. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they spent his money. When he comes back, he's going to stand every one of his servants up. Says, "All right, let's. We need to do some accounting right now. What did you do with what I gave you? Is that does that like do something in you? Like now, it's not guilt and shame. It, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be motivated out of um, a, an unhealthy fear, but it should be motivated at a reverential understanding. If you have a boss who has an act." They, they, have, they have certain expectations for somebody you work for, right? And if you don't meet those expectations, you get a poor performance appraisal. And you may not get a salary action. Or you may get terminated. Right? I mean, in the natural. So if we have a God who's the King of kings and Lord of lords, who paid a price and hung on a cross for you, he expects certain return on his invested love to you. But it's not works righteousness because it's not by that works that I'm saved. It's by grace that I'm saved, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But there is an accounting. Let's separate the right words here. So he's saying here, look, I'm coming back. He didn't give this parable to give him a nice bedtime story around the, you know, the Mount of Olives. He said, you need to keep watch because you don't know the day I'm coming back. And when I come back, we're going to talk about what happened. Now, I thank God for grace. <laughs> Woo! Because every one of us needs tons of grace, right? So we don't need to be scary about God. He's going to whack us for... No, 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 no. It's grace. But once we have this word, it ought to reflect light, and it ought to wash us. The washing of the word ought to make us have that revelation that redirects our lives. It can't just... Be good news that we do nothing with, right? James says, let me show you my faith by my work. Well, let's turn to John. Go to the right. Let's go to John 14. I know this is like Bible 
trivia here, but let's move on to John 14. I love the word here. Man, it just, it ought to do something to you. It is full of living power. John 14, this is the one where Jesus is about ready to go. His boys are all nervous, and he told them, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to get delivered. I'm going to be raised on there. They're like, what? Peter says, no, I'm going to die with you. No, Peter, you're not, and you're going to deny me. And so he gets to the place in John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled, verse 1. Trust God, trust also in me. I love that. Don't get troubled over all the stuff you're seeing. I love this. He says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you'll always be with me where I am. Wow. And you know where I'm going. Then we get in this whole exchange with Philip and Thomas. It's like, we don't have a clue where you're going. We don't even see the father. He's probably going, man, I just spent three years with these dudes and they still don't get it. And he just goes on. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Look at verse 27. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be a trouble. There it is again. And he adds, don't be afraid. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I have told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. And if you really love me, you'd be happy for me. Wow. Eagerly waiting for his return. Let's look at the outline. The second coming of Jesus Christ is uncertain and it's imminent. I love that. It's uncertain, but it's also imminent. It's kind of living in the the kingdom has come, but it's not yet. The kingdom is here. Jesus said it's at hand, but the fulfillment is coming. It's just like he's coming back. It's imminent, but it's certainly uncertain. But you don't know the day or the hour, so therefore, be ready. You must watch and keep, for you don't know the day the Lord is coming. The blessed hope produces a purifying, separating power in the heart, winning us over to holiness, love, and service. Let me ask this question. I know this is not biblical, but if you knew the Lord was coming back tomorrow morning, what would you do the next 12 hours. We'd probably have about five communion, we'd have about five communion services. We'd be in, uh, I'd be over there asking all these people that are, uh, that I think are offended, I, Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry, can we have a really like short list here? So if that's the case, aren't we supposed to do that now? What are you waiting for? Tom, what are you waiting for? You know, it's like, okay. So, The many biblical prophecies, second paragraph, the many biblical prophecies of his first coming are proof enough that the biblical prophecies of his second coming are accurate. Turn over. On the back, I, I just cherry-picked the first several thousand years of prophecy, which was the, the promise of the prophecies that Jesus was coming. When Isaiah said a virgin was going to give birth, he would be the king of kings and the government would be upon his shoulders. There are so many prophecies of the first coming. 
But there are even more prophecies of the second coming. So if the first coming prophecies were accurate, how much more do you think the second coming prophecies? And there's a body of, of uh, discussion going on that's been around for several thousand years. That's all figurative. This thing is, when you, you really, when you die, that's when you'll be with Jesus. Well, that's true if you're a born-again believer. But he is figuratively, literally coming back again. You can't read this book and not get that. It's, it's, I mean, it's just not possible. So I just listed the bottom part of that, prophecies that literally will fulfill his second coming. Zechariah 14.4, that's written hundreds of years before Christ was even born. The same Mount Olive which he ascended on, he will come back. Matthew 25, 32, all the nations will gather before him and he'll judge them. Daniel 7, he'll rule over with all of his saints. Isaiah 45, 23, every knee will bow. Jeremiah 3, 17, Isaiah 33, his throne will be in Jerusalem. This is not a figurative throne. He's going to rule the nations. There's a thousand-year reign. When you read the book of Revelation, that thousand-year reign, it's, it's not really clear what that whole thousand years is about, but we're going to rule and reign. This, it's not over. Once you're born again, you're born again. You're alive with him forever. Once you're born, you're going to spend time somewhere. <laughs> Be nice to rule and reign with him <laughs> as opposed to the other place. Turn back over and let's pick up there. It says, that revelation of his return should produce an exciting anticipation and a sobering reverential fear to every believer. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account. Keep watch. Number one, I will come again. Number two, why are you staring into heaven? He's going to come back the same way. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Zechariah, Moses, David, they all believed in Christ's second coming. The Holy Spirit, by mouth of the apostles, repeatedly said Christ would return again. Let's look at this one. This is the favorite of those who are looking to the rapture. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The church at Thessalonica had some questions. People had died and they, others were saying, well, you know, they didn't have this book then, hadn't been assembled, and they thought, well, maybe he already came and we missed it. They, they missed the rapture. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that be something that's like, you know, if you've ever seen the Left Behind series, right? Grandma who's been witnessing to the daughter and granddaughter, her clothes are all gone. She's taken up in her birthday suit and the clothes are there. And the daughter, the grand, like, uh-oh, I've been left behind. So there were those in Thessalonica that says, hey, Paul, have we been left behind? Did the second coming already come and we missed it? He goes, let me clarify something for you here. And so he writes the letter to the Thessalonica church here, and it says, in the hope of the resurrection. Look at verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you won't grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, 
God will bring back with him the believers who have died. What a day that's going to be, right? Look at verse 15. Well, we tell you this directly from the Lord. Now that's just, wow, God. You can see the Apostle Paul. We know he had his direct encounter. We also know he went into the desert for 13 years. He said he saw things. He was said he was taken into the third heaven. He says, I don't know if it was bodily or I can't. I saw things I can't utter. He had revelation. So there was this, he had a direct conversation with Jesus about this. That's important. It wasn't Paul's opinion. Paul says, I have an opinion about it. I don't think women should teach this way under the church. And I have a thought. That was Paul's opinion. This is not Paul's opinion. This is, I heard this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, And the trumpet of call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we are still alive and remain on that on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now that is like, whoa. (laughs) What a day that's going to be. There are many, I don't know if you're a pre-tribber, mid-tribber, or post-tribber. Uh, I've, I've come to become the, what I call the pan-tribber, right? It's all going to pan out, right? And so this is that place where God is in charge, and when it happens, it's going to happen, but it's going to happen big, and it's not going to be missed. So this is that place where Holy Spirit, he's going to come back in number five, They might have rejected him and killed him, but when he comes back the next time, there is going to be total respect and honor. There's going to be no, you want to mock my Jesus now? Go ahead. But I'll tell you what, one day, you're going to be forced to bow your knee. That'll be an amazing day. For those who are eagerly waiting, it's going to be this joyous celebration, dancing in the streets. Right, But there's also going to be a sobering day because we know at that point there is the, the judgment. There's the judgment of the believers. And then we know also in Revelation there's the great white throne judgment of the unbelievers and the dead. And that's going to be a horrible time. That's when Satan the slewfoot is thrown in the barbecue pit and locked down. Amen. That's going to be someday. And they're going to look at him and say, this is the one who deceived all of the world? This? That? Because he's like a roaring lion, but he's such a good deceiver and a liar. And people with our evil hearts oftentimes partner with that evil, and it brings about all the destruction that we certainly see. But there's a day coming, and I can't wait to see it. Number six, it says, kiss the son and put your trust in him. Well, I love that scripture. Kiss the son. Put your trust in him. Verse number seven, it says, to them that overcome and keep my works to the end, I will give power over nations. Perseverance. How many of you are in a battle? I know, man, there's, there's just been, there's just battles. There was a, a prophetic, there's a bunch of prophetic words. The 
If you don't have Charisma Magazine, I just encourage you to get it. Man, it's awesome. But there was a, uh, I think actually Phil Davis sent out, uh, Phil um, Smith sent out that um, there's a number of prophetic words that are coming out and been gathered um, by Charisma Magazine. There's a shaking coming to the churches. Now, many of you have already told me that. You've been getting, you seers, you come in, oh my goodness. A, that Hebrew scripture says there's a shaking coming. Everything will be shaken. Let it begin in the house of God. There's a shaking. And you know what? Th- that word is encouraging, even though it's like ugh, sobering. The shaking that's going on in, ha- first of all, there's a lot of folks leaving churches everywhere. The, the new generation, the younger generation, the millennials are leaving in droves. They've lost their faith. It's just sad. Now, when there's going to be a resurgence. There's going to be a return. But there's a falling away first. But there's this shaking. The churches that have, been, that have allowed for immorality and perversion, the ordaining of ministers that are homosexuals, that have been put in places, bishops that have, this violates this word. That's not me speaking. It violates this word. Those churches will go through a terrible shaking. And those ministers who have been deceived. So we pray. That doesn't mean we point our finger. We pray. And then we ask in humility, God, let me. Because anyone who thinks they can't fall, guess what? We get on our face and we say, God, please keep us in that place. If Solomon could fall, if David could mess up, If any of them could, that place where we get confused, we get in battles. Yeah, Elijah ran from Jezebel, kills 450 warlocks, and then the next day one woman scares the heck out of them, right? What is that all about? It's it's like, so if any of us think, you know, we're all that, we're not. But we have this place where we can stay in that, Lord, help us to preach the word whether it's in season or out. Help us to be loving. Help us to overcome those who judge, those who gossip, those who hate, those who have been that. Lord, we just release that in such a way that, Lord, forgive them. That's what Jesus said. They don't know what they're doing. That's the place we need to stay at so we can stay in a place when he returns. When I return, will I find faith? When I return, will I find faith in the earth? Lord, that just drives me to a place. Lord, help us to stay really close. Help us to see with your eyes and not with our own eyes. Don't let fear, I love what Terry shared last week. Fear will motivate you to do really stupid things. It'll cause you to shut off people that, through jealousy or competition, shut off the word of truth that you don't want to hear. Lord, help us to be mature believers. That's our desire. Then that last one, number eight, prepare to meet thy God. If you read Amos 4.12, it was a scary time in Amos. They were afraid for judgment. But because of the blood of Jesus, we're going to take communion. And because we have a more excellent covenant. I love that. In Hebrews 9, it says, the Old Testament is obsolete And it has been replaced with a new covenant sealed in his blood. That new covenant promises us grace. That if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. Isn't that good? (laughs) 
I think it's really great. If we could have a couple of the men bring the communion table on over. I wanted to uh, close today. My mom had, we do our intercession. If you're free on Wednesdays from 10 to 11.30, um, just encourage you to come. It's just that time where we dial in and ask the Lord to come. And um, People volunteer to do the communion. My mom, you got to love her. She didn't get home and in bed till like 3 o'clock in the morning. She was in the emergency room. Um, I'll share it because I want to pray over it. Two, com- two uh, compression fractures in her spine and her back due to some, what do they call it, osteopeno? Osteopena. Sounds awful. We're not having that in Jesus' name. And uh, someone else in the back said, I had a back problem. I pray for my back. So I, we're going to pray. Before we take communion, I want to pray. And then as we take communion, this is the meal that heals. Is it not? As we were worshiping and I had those two inputs, I thought, Lord, you, do, you want to pray not only over backs today, you want to pray over physical and emotional healings. There is a... There are, there's a spirit running in churches right now. You can read the book of Jude. I preached this in uh, Nepal and India. The, if you read the book of Jude, remember Jude, Jesus' half-brother. It's a one-chapter book just before Revelation. Jesus' half-brother. He was one of the mockers who didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. And Later, after the Revelation, saw him. <laughs> now he's in, right? The brothers are in. And so he writes this book. He says, I wanted to write to you something else about salvation, but I can't. I need to address three spirits that are now attacking the church. Now, this is 2,000 years ago, but you look at the three spirits that are called out. One is the spirit of Cain, the jealous brother. I'm jealous of someone else. Could be at work. Could be in your family. Jealousy is a murdering spirit. Cain killed his brother. The root of that is rooted in jealousy. Churches got loads of it everywhere. Churches, I've been in 12 different churches. I've been an elder in several churches. I'm telling you, this thing is, that spirit operates. The second one that's called out is the spirit of Korah. That's rebellion. Korah was a prominent leader. See that in, in, in Numbers 16. Look at Numbers 12. Um, number 16 Korah leads 250 prominent leaders of Israel against Moses. And he and his family and 250 of their leaders and families are killed. Because they will not have... This King Jesus, he believes he's in charge. If you got an Eli who's a, a wicked priest, he'll take Eli out and his sons. He's in charge. And the thing that we think is going on, and we're going to judge the church, you're not in that position, nor am I to judge the church. Now, he does say judge those who are in immorality and have nothing to do with them, which is another wild scripture to preach on. The third scripture that's there, or the third spirit, so you got rebellion and jealousy. The next one is witchcraft and greed. They're linked. We're Balaam and Balak. In fact, the king hires the witch doctor, the witch, the warlock, to curse Israel. And every time he tries to curse them, they get blessed because you can't, a curse that's projected that is undeserved is like a fluttering sparrow, can't land. So if you're speaking gossip and curses against someone, guess what? It's probably going to come back on you. Be very careful. Whom you judge, you shall also be judged, Jesus said. 
whom you forgive, for, refuse to forgive, you will not be forgiven by the Father. That's pretty sound red letter stuff from Jesus. Now, that just sobering truth that moves us to places like this. If I've got unforgiveness in my heart, if I've got somebody I've judged, if I think I'm all this in a bag of chips, you're not, nor am I. Anyone who thinks they're better than somebody else, he tells us, be careful. You're no better than anyone else. That's the truth, right? So in this time of coming before, we want the churches. We're praying for southeastern North Carolina. North Carolina, wow, there's some amazing things happening, right? We heard this week, praying for years, Planned Parenthood has now been defunded federally. Your tax dollars, your tax dollars that kill over a million three children a year, 600,000 abortions last year by Planned Parenthood. Now it's going to go to states, so pray for our state. The HB2 law, look, I don't know, nobody's happy about that, so I don't know what to make of all that, but Lord, I pray for our governor, Cooper. I pray for our assistant governor, Dan Forrest. I pray for those legislators. Lord, protect this state that it is a sheep state and not a goat state. Lord, protect us. Our children are in school. We, we need you co to come and bless this. Those spirits that are operating, everything that happens, there's a spirit behind it. And we need wisdom and knowledge and discernment, 1 Corinthians 12. So now let's, let's search our hearts here. I'd like you to just close your eyes. If you're being slimed by gossip and anger and hatred and judgments... Lord, I ask you to cleanse us, wash us, wash over us, Holy Spirit. If we've been the perpetrator of negativity, judgments, tearing down government officials, tearing down those that we have no right, God, we're not in their shoes. Give us the wisdom to see what is sin without anger or hatred towards an individual. We can call out sin, behaviors, but we can't judge people. Lord, I ask you to forgive us for the immoral thinking, the unclean words, the unclean things we've watched or read. I'm asking you, Lord, that we would be a bride without spot or wrinkle. It says you're coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. You're coming back. God, I ask that you'd cleanse us. Revelation 19 says that great feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb is being prepared and the saints have prepared and the deeds of goodness, the good deeds done unto them are the washing of the garments. Lord, I pray for your people to have good deeds of fellowship, of giving, of time and energy and encouragement. We would not be those that are jealous, Cain murderers, rebellious, unled, those who are greedy, new after new age or witchcraft. God, I pray that this church, I repent for anything we've done or said that has not been pleasing in your sight. Wash over the place, God, so that it's a, it's a refuge place. It's, it's a readied house. It's a house ready for your return. 
from the top of the leadership all the way to the new believer that comes in. That this place would be ready. That you would come back and you would be pleased to come back here. And we would eagerly wait for your return. So Lord, we've heard some severe words. You're both gracious and severe. On the night that Jesus was going to face the biggest challenge of the reason he came. He took bread among his believers there, his closest disciples, and he, he broke it. They didn't have a full understanding. He says, but this is my body broken for you. I want you to take it. I want you to eat it. And then he took a cup. He said, this is a new covenant that's going to seal in my blood. It's going to be the everlasting covenant. Before we go to communion, I, if you're here physically, I know the Lord wants to pray, pray for backs. But if you're here with a physical ailment, I'd like you to, and you're believing God is the healer. Jehovah Rapha is one of his names. There's a place of faith where you step in, I, I believe he can heal me. Why don't you just raise your hand? I'm believing God for my healing today. Probably a third of you raising hands. All right, put them down. Lord, this is the meal that heals. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And as often as you do it, you declare my death until I come. In Romans 8, in Romans 10, he says, if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is unto salvation, belief, and the professing of the word that we are saved. If you're here this morning and you're not born again, you've never made a commitment, or you're not sure that if you were to die this moment, your heart would have stopped, and you don't know where you're going to be, and you know that you're going to face judgment, you don't want to face that alone. This would be a great time to come and receive Christ. Or maybe you've backed slid and you've fallen away and it's time I want to make a new day. This is the day where I'm restarting my walk. Setting aside those things that pull me away from God and seeking after Him. Let that be this day. So Lord, we ask you to come now. Would you touch these elements in such a way that as they become part of who we are in the physical body, they spiritually, emotionally, physically touch us in ways that are supernatural. I ask you to come. I break the spirit of infirmity and sickness and injury and all the stuff that's happened, all the torment in people's lives, every place where DNA and generational sin and brokenness have come, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you come and you take and move among your people. Every cell and every structure, I bind the ability of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy from your people. And I declare that you have given life in full abundance in Jesus' precious and mighty name. And we declare, Lord, for your glory. For your glory, God, you do it. You glorify yourself sovereignly this morning at this meal that heals your people. In the mighty name of Jesus. Now, if you'll come from both wings, and then if you'll exit down the center, 
If we would leave it so those that have some physical trouble getting here, they could use the back of the, up against here on the altar and those that are able to use the front. So Lord, I thank you right now that you anoint this time. We receive what you did, the sacrifice of your brokenness and your shed blood that you entered in that holy place once and for all for us. Make it personal here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.